0: of Shadows, Second Movement, Fiume destelle. Stel, F equals M-A, Phrase 4. Jazz was happy they'd bagged red, but she didn't have much time to dwell on the win. There was no pause button on this recording. Avery continued, uninterrupted. "'My boy!' Avery looked like he was about to cry. "'After I found you, those were truly the greatest years of my life. "'No matter what failure I endured, what betrayal, I knew that I had you. "'I kept you as my secret, only I knew your true identity. "'I knew both my half-brother and sister had spies amongst us on Providence, "'and I was certain I had made an enemy of the Adabigos by retrieving you from under them.' but I would stop at nothing to keep you safe. There was no way for them to know for certain who took you from them. I made sure to be overly cautious in hiding our identity, and tried to make it look like a random act, not a deliberate maneuver. But they had to know it was a pirate. They would put us all at risk, and at a time when I was doing a poor job of uniting us. Odd happenings began soon after I rescued you, as if suddenly luck was against me. Everything seemed to go wrong. Mechanical issues with Providence. Internal disputes that turned violent. Sabotage technology we used to grow our food. The issues seemed endless and random. And yet I saw a deliberate attack in every shadow. I couldn't sleep for fear that my throat would be slit by someone I trusted. I didn't eat because I feared the food would be poisoned. And yet everywhere I searched through all of my effort... I found nothing and no one. I started to grow quite paranoid. Even amongst my friends, I could trust no one. Not if I was to keep you safe. My mind did not do well under the strain. But I had to endure. I would endure. For you. As I said, there are many who joined us during the war, but not all were refugees, Some saw what we were building on Providence as an opportunity, and yet we could trust no one, not at first, anyway. So when Sonwa came to us, I was incredibly suspicious. What high-ranking, successful captain of Kaladi's privateer corps would leave that position to join us? He never hid his ambition, either. I was attracted to the man immediately, and soon we were spending a lot of time together, dreaming and scheming, late into the night. I finally felt alive again. You're growing so fast, and... Avery paused and took a breath. Then... Avery stopped again, looking away from the camera. Sournois had been close to Gulati for a time. She had brought him into her confidence. Although he was not given the details, he understood her skill lay in building networks of influence. She truly had ears everywhere and Sonois had happened to see some of these years in his work for her. One day, after Sonois left my quarters, he passed someone familiar. It took him a moment to place the face, but it was one of Kaladi's spies he recognized from his time in her service. He was sure of it, and rushed to tell me. It was easy to locate him with access to Providence's cameras, but I was surprised to find there were two of them, a husband and wife, and the wife pregnant no less. Two people I never would have suspected. In the rush of refugees, this soon-to-be family had been sowing discord on Providence for well over a year. I could trust no one else with this aside from Sornois, and now I knew for sure I could trust him with my life. Together we searched their quarters and almost gave up until I saw a strange stuffed toy on the floor. It stuck out to me because their child had not been born yet, so why would they need this? I picked it up and squeezed. There was something solid in its middle. I opened it to find a drive. At this point, I set to capturing the family. I was willing to do anything to discover the extent of their treason. Anything. It sounded like Avery was trying to convince himself. But they must have been tipped off the moment Sornois saw them. Somehow they'd gotten themselves onto the manifest of a ship and were on their way. I tried to stop them, but was too late. There were moments from threading, at which point capturing them would be near impossible. And if they were able to return to Kaladi... Avery shook his head and continued. I had no idea what sorts of secrets they would be able to share with her. I needed to make a choice, and I made it. I shot them down. I do not enjoy killing, despite my reputation. Avery shook his head and looked downward but sometimes that violent rage throws me from the pilot's seat and I am a passenger to its destructive force. There is this intense, euphoric release, followed by a black hole of shame. Avery placed a hand to his temple and pressed into it, closing his eyes. It doesn't matter. What matters is what we found. The drive was a tricky piece of work. Again, if not for Sornois' help, We never would have seen the traps the spies had laid, and certainly never would have decrypted it. What we found was not what we expected. I had assumed there would be detailed weaknesses of Providence, information that could destroy us from the inside. Instead, it was a file of detailed dossiers and confidential reports on something called Project Shambhala. The family of spies wasn't running. They had been given a new mission— and this was intended to be a dead drop for someone else on Providence who was supposed to join them. Now is when everything starts breaking from the chains of reality. Kaladi had somehow discovered that the Adabigos were siphoning large quantities of resources from the military budget into this Project Shambhala. Here again, the Adabigos were behind something, and their wealth had betrayed their intentions. But what they were after seemed pure fiction— It all started with gate DX-126, a gate that led to nowhere, which was not uncommon then. You grew up with gates all around you, but I remember a time when I could count on one hand the number of stable gates, and all of them were pure novelties, transporting you from empty space to empty space. Gate DX-126 was no different, or so everyone thought. Except for Amasa Adabigo. Ibrahim's mother. Something encouraged her to explore further. It was a family obsession, the true purpose of which was hidden to everyone else. For years they penetrated deeper and deeper into gate DX-126. Slowly they mapped a significant portion of the sector and were elated to find a solar system similar to ours, and a signal, a message of some kind that could not be understood." This took years, so long that when Amasa died and handed the power to her son Ibrahim, he continued the search until he uncovered the mystery. Nothing would stop him, which is why when I expertly stole Providence, Ibrahim seized the opportunity presented in turn. He incited Kaladi to claim her rightful place on the throne. When she did, a few whispers in Zeb's ear, and soon Kaladi's son was gone. Ibrahim had engineered the Succession War, all to draw attention away from Project Shambhala. The Arabigo Patriarch funneled money into the project with his discretionary funds for military spending. Much of it went to the retrofitting of a god of war to sustain itself for over fifteen years and pay for a crew numbering close to ten thousand. And with every skill imaginable, he feared something. There was a reason he chose a vessel capable of such destruction at the cost of speed. Unfortunately, by the time we were able to crack the drive and discovered all of this, the god of war had already left. We tried to access the gate, but it was too well guarded and had been switched off. There was nothing we could do. Yet. My efforts shifted away from disrupting the succession war. Instead, I focused myself entirely on building the strength of providence and penetrating the in inner circle. Ever since the name came to me through Aruje, I had been keeping my eye on the family, Ibrahim in particular. He had a thing for a certain kind of woman. He'd long since divorced his first wife and had remarried. Ibrahim seemed to love his second wife, but he would allow himself the occasional mistress to release his own inner demons— I become accustomed to finding the vices of my enemies and strangling them with their own desires. I was surprised to find Ibrahim was no different. One of my children fulfilled his every desire, and in turn she had access to him. I'd asked nothing in particular of this daughter of mine, only to get close to him and to listen. For years, nothing happened. Soon my attention was turned away from Ibrahim and his family— and back toward Providence. Bit by bit, we exerted our control over the Constellation Sector, while my half-siblings continued a war of small cuts, until finally, Kaladi's stamina won out, when Zeb died from a sudden heart attack. Ibrahim quickly fell out of favor when Kaladi took the throne. His family still held too much power for her to entirely remove him, but he was no longer the most powerful man in the universe. At that time, we had carved out a certain amount of control in the Constellation Sector and reduced the unnecessary bloodshed. When the war ended, Kaladi seemed to leave us alone, so long as we didn't cause too much trouble. She had wounds to lick and an empire to rebuild. And yet, I couldn't stop thinking about Gate DX-126. I knew that Kaladi knew about it. Ibrahim certainly knew about it. And yet I don't think any of us knew what truly lay beyond the gate. It didn't matter. Both of them wanted what was beyond the gate. Only I could stop them, and only I could turn it into an advantage. I waited, and I planned, and I told no one aside from Sornois. Then my daughter, who had moved ever closer to Ibrahim after the death of his second wife, let me know he planned to take a trip. And that he was going to be away for some time on business. This was just the sort of thing I'd been waiting for. I knew it was almost time for that gate to open. I will not bore you with the details of what came next, but it was no small feat. I managed to delay Adebigo and his retinue and to hijack the gate moments before it was open. I had prepared for years, assembling a hand picked crew and some mercenaries I had paid for the purpose to enter the gate. We would take control of the God of War and fly it back to the Constellation Sector. Normally this would have been impossible, but since the warship had been converted to handle so many people for such a long period of time, many of its more devastating weapon systems had been replaced for life support. What we had not accounted for was how unprepared Adabigo had been. The Dawnbreaker's return time was partially conjecture. They would periodically open the gate to check the location— but something disrupted communication and radar at a critical moment. The margin of error for predicting the return was great, but the risk of keeping the gate open for too long was greater. We learned the hard way when we entered the gate, and the god of war was already upon us. I had stolen and fully outfitted a frigate for the battle, and it smashed immediately into the Dawnbreaker, killing many of those who were coming in behind it. I slipped by and witnessed the chaos— My crew were still able to board, but I knew all hope was lost. The frigate had damaged the God of War significantly, and the two ships were going to collide with the gate. There would be no stopping it. I'm not sure when I realized it. When I decided to flee. When? Avery started to cry. I didn't mean... I didn't mean to do it. It was not my fault. The man completely broke down. Dead? I killed them all. And for what? For what? Avery shouted at the camera, spit flecking from his mouth. What if I'd stolen the Dawnbreaker? What if I'd ruined the plans of Adebiko or Kaladi? Why did I have to involve myself in any of it? Pride? What pride? I was a coward. A violent coward, lashing out. Avery held his head in his hands. So many thousands of souls... I've killed before, but... His shoulders slumped and his eyes bore into the floor. The weight, And it happened so quickly. Avery looked up. I couldn't let anyone know. You need to understand that. Not even my own. I hunted down every single ship that escaped and I shot them down. It was the only way. And what were a few more... Avery's demeanor had changed abruptly. He wiped away the tears, and a cold fury consumed his features. But there was one who did escape, and one I could never reach. I'm not certain who, but I have no doubt they carry with them the secrets of Project Shambhala. But I cannot bear that burden any more Not after what happened. Not after what I did. What I've become. I died that day, son. The last vestige of my heart rotted and died. I sincerely hope you never hear this, because it means that maybe I was wrong. Perhaps whomever escaped is dead and was never found. But I know better than to hope for something so foolish. The universe will find a way. For it always moves towards entropy, towards chaos. I love you, Knox, but you must not be shielded from the truth any longer. I've made many mistakes in my life, but you are not one of them. Perhaps you are the only mistake I have not made. Your heart knows the corruption I faced, but it was not raised in it like I was. Providence has outgrown me and needs to be taken into the next generation. You know, it said the Jews, after escaping from bondage in Egypt, were forced to wander for 40 years. Do you know why? It's because they had been enslaved for generations, and before they could enter their holy land, a whole generation had to die so there would be no one who remembered what it meant to be a slave. I was a slave, and I did my best to save those like me. But we can never forget that feeling, what it means to be a thing. That never leaves you. Those of us who started Providence, we are the past, and you are the future, Nox. You are the heir to the Divine Republic, and you are my heir to Providence. You must lead us into the next phase, into our Holy Land. Don't you see? This is why I have to do what I'm about to do. I need to kill myself. I must die to pave the road for you to become our true Deliverer. Humanity's hope at a new future. You understand? Don't you? Avery didn't sound convinced himself, but he smiled anyway. It doesn't matter. I've done my part, and I'm ready to embrace the long night. But you must trust Sornois. Do you hear me, boy? He is the only one you can trust after you've heard this message. Avery picked a rope up from off a camera and tossed it over something. And no one else. No. One. He stepped onto a chair and fit a noose around his neck. And son, you can do this. I know you can. Only you can. I love you. And without any hesitation, the pirate legend, the god of a man who had stolen Providence and fathered a republic of thieves, kicked out the chair from under him, and quietly, strangled to death. Jazz looked away, burying her face in Knox's shoulder. He held her, but continued to watch as his father choked for breath. Jazz knew it was over when the sound stopped, but she still did not dare to look. Sornois bent down and picked up the hollow lock, turning it off. "'Your time is now, Knox. Do you understand?' I am old and have lost my edge, but you, you are always the best of us. They're almost back. I can feel them, Cybele interrupted. My crew, which means Red and Woods must be close. Woods is here? asked Sarnois, grimacing. And his fool, pardon? It's more complicated than that, Cybele grimaced. The Divine Republic. They're planning on closing the gate to the Constellation sector, stranding us there. You have to be shitting me," Jazz blurted. "We need to get back there now," she emphasized the obvious. "How?" asked Sornois, looking straight at Knox. "No," Knox said quietly. "No, this, this can't." He shook his head as if in a daze. "I'm not who you think I am. I'm not meant to lead." He trailed off. ''I can't do this. You have to do this,'' Sornois said firmly. ''You're the only one. Can you get us back?'' ''Get out,'' said Knox. ''What?'' asked Sornois. ''Get out!'' Knox roared, throwing whatever was close at hand. Sibel neatly stepped in front of Sornois, batting away the objects. ''Now!'' Sornois raised his own voice. ''We don't have time for your grief, Knox. Did you not listen to your father?'' Knox started walking to the exit. "'Your path has been laid by the bones of your father, and you must walk it!' "'I will not,' he said, leaving Sornois and Cybele behind. Jazz looked at the two men, shrugged, and ran after Knox. "'Stop!' she said to him, grabbing his arm, but he shook it away. "'Come on, Knox, just stop for a second. He ripped his arm away again and continued walking. Jazz ran in front of him, holding a hand out and pressing hard against his chest. I didn't ask for this, he shouted at her. I know you didn't. He abandoned me. He lied to me and he left me. That coward, that monster, that... Get out of my way. He tried to push her away hard and she almost fell to the ground. What the fuck, Knox? Jazz yelled. And you're no better. I can't believe I... Knox stopped himself mid-sentence and shook his head. Leave me alone. What does this have to do with me? Jazz felt the rage building in her now. It's not my fault your pops was a maniac. Really? Nox rolled his eyes. You have no idea. Nox got up in her face. You left me, Jazz, just like my father. And I... And you what? Jazz spat in his face and pushed him away. Loved me? She scoffed and stabbed a finger into his chest. How many years were we fucking? Five? Six? And how many times did you say the L word? Jazz mocked. How many times did you kiss me when your crew was around? I... Yeah, you what? Jazz pushed Knox hard against the wall with both hands. Were embarrassed? Thought it would make you look weak? Thought a girl with a nice ass with no parents and no home wasn't good enough for you? For who you wanted to be? Don't give me that shit. You knew what we were. A good bone when we were feeling lonely. Someone to stick your prick into when you felt like it. Fuck you. I might have left, but you had every chance to stop me. If I did, you would have run away. What? Jazz felt off-balance by the comment. I don't run away, she lied to herself. Ah, see, you'll know. Nox stabbed a finger at her, on the offensive now. I loved you. I still love you. But I knew if I ever gave a whiff of my feelings, it was forbid I actually told you the truth. Nox shook his head. You would have left. And I couldn't bear that. And you did leave. Me, Nox said. Just like my father. You had every chance to send me a message, ask me to come back. And how many times did you do that since I left? If I hadn't run into you at that way station, would you have ever... Jazz stopped herself and growled, trying to keep her tears at bay. She knew it to be the truth. She would have abandoned him if he ever got too close. He did get too close. Jazz couldn't expose herself, make herself vulnerable, not to anyone, She realized the sad irony. She would have come back to him open arms. She fantasized that he would call her after she ghosted him, but weeks turned into months, months into years, and here she was, close to a decade later. You know what? Jazz continued, pummeling her emotions into submission. Don't answer that. We both know the answer, and none of this matters if we're stuck here. Jazz took a deep breath pulling her mask of tough bitch back firmly onto her face. That was safe. She knew that, and they needed to keep a cool head while they were all on a sinking ship. Sunk ship, she thought, grasping onto whatever dark humor she could find in the situation. right now, all that shit we just heard, whatever you're thinking about us, it's all a distraction. We need to get back in orbit immediately and teleport ourselves home. Home, Jazz repeated in her head. What was home? We can't. Knox interrupted her thoughts, but his voice was calmer now, although laced with timidity. Not without Sabel's pistol. Both of them were silent for a moment, neither quite sure how to respond. Knox. Gerda's voice filled their calms. Why it said I could reach you on this private channel. I'm back. Knox's face lit up, and Jazz couldn't help but feel jealousy bloom in her chest. He'd never smiled that way at her. Who the fuck cares, she thought. Why do I care? But she did care. There was no denying it. Are you all right, asked Knox. Where are you? I'll be fine, but I'm heading to the infirmary. Need to lie down and have a stiff drink. I've got a gift for you. And I have a lot I need to tell you, Knox looked to Jazz. We're not far from the infirmary. Jazz and I will meet you there. Let White know to meet us there as well. He'll be on his way after he deals with Red and Woods. Knox, Woods let out the Divine Republic is planning on closing the gate. Our gate. We know, said Knox. Sybil told us. They're done with the whole business. Would rather maroon all of us to a corner of the universe. And we believe this guy, Woods? I do, said Goethe. He's a bit of a bump, but he's earnest. No worries, though. Your girl has got the golden ticket. Almost there. Over and out. Jazz and Knox picked up their pace. <music> Symphony of Shadows is a production of Synapse Radio, written, produced, and performed by J.S. Rose. Follow us on Instagram at Synapse Radio and Twitter at Connect2Synapse, that's the number two, or visit our website for all things awesome, synapse-radio.com.